The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription. Critical mass. That's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach critical mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs. Opening up access to 2,000 of the world's largest financial institutions. Don't just take our word for it. Temenos Marketplace has just won Reader's Choice Best Emerging Innovative Technology Product and Service at the 2016 Banking Technology Awards. Join Temenos now. We make the money go round. Let's be honest. Most digital banking experiences just aren't that amazing. Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank, and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com today. Welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews, brought to you by the folks at 11FS, the fintech specialists helping financial services transform into beautiful digital butterflies. We're available on every kind of podcast platform that you can think of. So if you want to go to iTunes, if you want to go to SoundCloud, Spotify, make sure you check us out and tell your friends. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Gerhard Coetzee, the lead financial sector specialist at CGAP. I can say it all in one go, totally can. In his role, Herard works to expand financial inclusion via microfinance, rural and agricultural finance, and branchless banking. Herard, you're the lead financial sector specialist at CGAP. First off, what is CGAP? CGAP is a partnership of 34 partners that uh, joined forces with a specific topic in mind, and that topic is financial inclusion. So CGAP works for that partnership to expand financial inclusion. How do we do it? We think about the future and about the challenges that we see and about the problems that we see. And we build concepts around that. We then go and test those concepts in the real world with real institutions. And we take those lessons and we scale and share that. That's in essence what CGAP does. We have 50 people largely in Washington, D.C., but spread uh, in many places in the world where we have projects. And uh, we are indeed focused on not only thinking about financial services on its own, but what does it, role does it play in the economic and social reality of people. And, and CGAP itself, what does that stand for? Consultative group to assist the poor. Assisting the poor, indeed. Yeah. So that speaks a little bit, of, I suppose, about uh, what it is that you do there. Um, what, what's your role? I'm responsible with a great team of people exactly to do what you've already uh, covered. Uh, but let me just sort of uh, rephrase that slightly. So we believe strongly that if you do not understand the customer, the poor person in their life, in their the challenges they have, the pain points they face, then it will be very difficult to provide a service that they will use. Uh, so the one part of my work is to look at, uh, at a customer-centric model of doing this. And then I've got lovely colleagues that actually work on uh, providing digital solutions based on the understanding of the customer, the challenges they have and the pain points they have. So they look at maybe an app 
or at a solution to provide services beyond payments or at a, at a digital solution to provide services to pay for energy or education or water. And then I've got a group of colleagues that uh, look at doing all of that for a specific segment. And that segment is smallholder families. So families that are engaged in agriculture at a very subsistence level. So that's the sort of three parts of the work that I'm engaging in. So how did you get into that type of work? Oh, that's an interesting question, Simon. I started out with the dream to become a vet. And I just didn't have the stomach for that. You know, when I see blood, I topple over. So, so uh, I uh, was always interested in agriculture. And I was always interested in how the business of agriculture actually works. So uh, uh, I followed an agricultural economic study path. When I was sort of in my first or second year of, uh, of my first job, I discovered the challenge of agricultural finance. And then I looked at the challenge of accessing financial services for poor farmers. And suddenly a whole world opened up and I saw that this is an area where I can actually make a difference. I can actually make a contribution. Uh, and uh, that's how I got to this game, because from the agricultural finance to access to finance for the poor is an easy and a quick jump. So as you made that jump, what, uh, what research supported that and what have you learned and kind of what surprised you as you've gone into that? Because you talk about understanding the problems. Yeah. As the, those problems have come up, have there been things that have surprised you? We spent a long time in our area of work by thinking that we can provide solutions to poor people that we actually take and adjust from the rest of the world, from the middle income or even the more affluent world. And we've learned the hard way that the path to a solution here is not a supply-driven path, but indeed a demand-driven path. And once you, you get that insight, the next question is, what is the meaning of that? What's the practical implication of that? And there, um, the, the, the challenge is, do we really understand the people that we have to serve? Do we really understand what they face, what they deem important? What is their behavior when they have to overcome challenges in life, etc.? Because we can't just sort of translate it from us. We have to understand them. That is the first realization. And you may think, Gerard, but that is actually a no-brainer. You should have started there. But you know, the financial services industry is not known for being very customer-centric. It's only in the last few years that we see the swing in the, in, in the industry. And it's also interesting that FinTech brought a lot of focus on the customer and solving problems for the customer. So that's a long path that we have to, to walk. And once you understand the customer, that's not the end of the story. You still have to come with a solution, a design that speaks to the customer. And once you've done that, that's not the end of the story. You still have to deliver that, right? And many firms uh, look at uh, design as the most important thing. And I think that the whole concept of delivery and organizing for delivery and focus on delivery and sensitizing the leadership of financial institutions to what is available in terms of value in delivering services for the poor, sensitizing frontline staff 
change management through the organization. Those are not easy things. And I think that is also a challenge that we have to consider. So if you're going to make that change as a financial institution and you're going to recognize the opportunity that the market of you know, billions of people who are poor mm -hmm. and do not have the same needs as the affluent or the middle income, you know, are there new technologies, are there new business practices, are there new distribution models and new ways of thinking oh. that really help with that? Maybe before I answer that question, I'm going to go a little bit back into the financial inclusion world. Mm -hmm. From about the sort of mid-70s to the 80s, uh, we saw a lot of emphasis on providing financial services in the form of microloans. Okay? And it was very much a sort of face-to-face -face thing. And, and to decrease costs in delivering that model, people, a lot of uh, institutions worked with groups. And uh, I don't know whether you are familiar with, uh, with the name uh, Grameen Bank, and Muhammad Yunus, but in 2005, uh, we had the International Year of Microcredit. So that's where we started. And that was a very much credit-driven model, right? Then we realized that uh, as, a, as a whole sort of, uh, we call ourselves an industry, but let's, let's use the word for a moment, as a whole industry, that that's not enough. There's much more to people's, uh, what people need uh, in terms of financial services than just loans. So you're looking at savings, remittance services, insurance. And then we broaden this whole sort of concept. And over time, the financial sector, the broader financial sector, start looking at this and say, well, there's some value here for us as well. But there are two inherent uh, challenges. One is the cost of interaction with the poor because it is small amounts, unit costs are high. If it's a face-to-face -face model, it's an expensive model. And then also, in what way can you scale your work? In what way can you reach that two billion that's still excluded? And technology brings a superior answer to this in the, the ability to decrease costs of reaching out to people and the ability to do things at scale. But you know very well, and you've been in the banking industry, that once you have a solution, it doesn't mean the battle is won. You know, you, you still have to go and implement this. So in, our, in the sort of financial inclusion space, the big challenge at the moment is to decrease the cost. How do you reach more people? How do you reach those people that are excluded? And there are many excluded segments. Think about uh, in Africa, for example, the majority of the African population is still somehow linked to agriculture, where whether it's a small portion of their income or their subsistence or more, but they link to it. They are normally in the cities, very urban areas, but also the remote rural areas. How do you reach them? We have to think about uh, the infrastructure to reach them. So it's not only a financial inclusion solution, it's also the rails and the platforms that you need to mobilize for this. And this is uh, the challenge. This is, these are the challenges. Um, I, I can go on, but let's first hear whether, whether I... Uh, no, I think that, that answers the question extremely yeah. well. I think the old term in banking is fulfillment, and the mm. fulfillment model was branch-based and high cost, yeah. high unit cost, and you needed to be making so much money per individual customer you know, to, to be in profit. Naturally, yeah. technology gives us opportunities to, to kind of change that. Have you seen anybody 
doing that well, where they're really using the benefits, not only of technology, but different ways of thinking about distribution, different ways of thinking about scale uh, to, to really you know, both affect change in people's lives, but also to create a profitable business for themselves, which you know, yeah. I don't think anybody's against. Yeah, no, no, I think there are several examples. You know, we quite often fall uh, quickly to the Kenyan example of M-Pesa and Safaricom. But what is important in uh, Bangladesh, we have Bcash. Uh, we've got an insurance firm in the Philippines called Pioneer Insurance that are doing very good work in creating models that reach large numbers of people. And so we have successes. We have uh, good cases where people actually run a very good business model on this. But I mean, I've mentioned earlier, we still have 2 billion people excluded. And the big challenge is now as you go further out and you're pushing the frontier between uh, sort of people who are included versus excluded, it becomes more difficult. Um, and therefore, we have to be more innovative. But, but for the moment, we see a vast potential in partnerships to do this. The firm that I mentioned in Philippines, the microinsurance firms, they only work through partners. And they, uh, through some of their partners, uh, engage with 1.5 million clients per month, you know, new clients where they sell their microinsurance policies. The example of M-Pesa uh, being a remittance system and then linking up with, uh, with uh, Commercial Bank of uh, Africa to expand that system to savings and to loans. It, the, the future of this is technology, partnerships, clever distribution systems, and solving a lot of operational problems. Indeed, I think partnerships is, mm -hmm. is an area we talked about in, in a previous podcast as well. I think one of the things that uh, really comes to my mind then is you know, if we need partnerships, if we need distribution, if we need all those things you just mentioned, what are the barriers to making those real and, and how might we overcome them? I think, um, uh, firstly, uh, you know, you have to look at um, the barriers around business models. How do you share revenue? How do you distribute it? How do you build this up in different versions for different contexts? So the business model is a big uh, uh, challenge. The other challenge is how do you find partners? Because a partner, we, we shouldn't think about partners as just these sort of big players. There are many small partners that come, uh, that come with brilliant ideas, but that we never know of. And w what do you create to actually bring those smaller partners in? Many organizations are now speaking about open ecosystems where they actually create the marketplace and the small players can sign up and say, well, I've, I, I have a solution. How do I link with you? How do I sign up to be part of your platform and your service? Uh, and I think we need solutions in that area as well. We, we tend to fall back to very technological terms like open APIs or decentralized ledger systems or even uh, uh, interoperability. But all of those are together the concept of ecosystems where you open it up so that the solutions come to you and come to those that can actually provide the platform, that can actually bring the scale to the to the solution, and I think that's our challenge so uh, a, in the future. There's an interesting thing there about business model, which is if you're a balance sheet lender and you use something like you know, APIs, 
then really are you working with small companies to distribute your balance sheet lending to a whole new generation of customers, a whole new market of customers? And therefore, what are the concerns with that? Who are those partners? How do you vet those partners? Mm -hmm. Have you seen this become an idea that's catching on a little bit more? That are people we, willing to consider this or is that... Um, no, no, I mean, we see this happening slowly but surely. Uh, it is happening in a more sort of developed market space mostly, but we've got great lessons from developing countries. If you think about big network operators, big banks, the big bank examples are mostly in the sort of developed countries where they come up with these solutions. But the network operators examples, mobile network operator examples are more from the developing countries. And I have an idea that we always underestimate the innovation and the ability uh, when you engage in developing countries like uh, we have in Africa, because I'm an African and this is where my first love and my heart is. You know, I'm, I want to see our continent succeed and I'm proud about what people are doing in developing these platforms, in opening these things up and we can do much more. I'm sure we can. So, Gerard, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, where can people find out more about what it is CGAP does? You can go to the CGAP website, which is www.cgap.org, uh, and you can uh, uh, contact us uh, through this website. We are uh, working not only in smallholders and customers and technology, but we're also working in policy in what makes markets work in uh, several select countries. So there's much more that, than what I've just shared uh, if you would like to visit us. Wow, that's fantastic. And I think if you were looking for a, a challenge in your life and something that's really rewarding, you know, uh, helping out or working with CGAP would be huge. And one last fun question to end it. What rule do you live your life by? I uh, believe strongly in uh, living your life in such a way that when you leave something, it is better than the way you found it. So stewardship and sort of uh, creating capacity and building things that last and sustainable, that for me is sort of my ultimate objective and what I believe in. Fantastic golden rule. So thank you very much for listening or for watching. Uh, if you're a fan of this podcast, could you help us out? Would you recommend it to a friend? Um, would you take a moment to review it on iTunes? That helps people find us. So from all of us here at Level 39, that's all for now. Until next week. Mm -hmm.